Correct me if I'm wrong, Holly, but you make big babies. I do. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Talk Birthy with Us, the weekly podcast hosted by me, Ellie. And me, Louisa. We are birth doulas, we are antenatal educators, we are hypnobirthing teachers, we are birth drama practitioners, and we are the co-founders of New Birth Club. And we're here to talk birthy with you. And in this week's episode, we are joined by the wonderful Holly, who shares with us her three big baby birth stories. Holly's first birth was an induction for post-dates, which resulted in an instrumental birth. And her second son and her daughter were both born at home. Holly talks to us about her big babies affecting her pregnancy, her birth and her postpartum from her caregiver's perspective, and how she prepared nevertheless to birth at home. We talk about growth scans, macrosomia, gestational diabetes, shoulder dystocia, precipitous labour and prodromal labour. There is literally so much packed into this episode. Because we didn't want this episode to be absolutely mammoth in length, we have cut our weekly catch-up and boss bitch bin so that we can dedicate the entirety of this episode to Holly, her experiences and all of her amazing insights and tips for anyone else who could be growing big babies. We absolutely know that you are going to love this episode. So do settle in and come and talk birthy with us. So I'm Holly. I am a birth preparation hypnobirthing teacher in Western Supermare. Um, I've got three children and they are eight, six and two. I am obsessed with birth, all things pregnancy, birth, postnatal. I also run a community home birth group with the lovely Louisa. <laughs> and um, just enjoy spreading that kind of community um, support around the area I also do breastfeeding peer support which is probably one of the my favorite things to do um, as a volunteer I love sort of when parents come to a session with a problem and then they go away and I see them a couple of weeks later back at group or out and about in Audi and they've got um, they're like oh I, I just wanted to tell you like everything's going really well and I'm like oh, that's what we're here for and I love it um but all of that tied in with like birth prep, supporting couples in that sort of um, preparation for having their baby and then postnatally, I just, yeah, I love all of that. So that's me in the nutshell. Um, yeah. Essentially, you're just like a, an amazing human being. That's oh, what well, thank you. I'm so great, guys. Tonight, <laughs> we're here to tell your story. Lovely. And correct me if I'm wrong, Holly, but you make big babies. I do. People often sort of say um, they comment on a baby's weight. It's one of those things people always desperately want to know. What was the weight of the baby? It's a weird fixation because we don't ask adults how much they weigh and we don't really care. I have no idea what my children weigh now. Like, do you know what I mean? It's a, it's almost irrelevant information, but it's so super important. Everyone loves that. Yeah, and... they do. And I think as well, there's this... The obsession doesn't stop at birth either. And we like fat babies. 
Yeah. It's so confusing. They're like, the world loves fat babies, but then the world goes on to hate fat, older human beings. Yes, I know, right? I wish people loved my, like, chubbiness now as much as they did when I was, like, a toddler. Um, But, so, yeah, so, so three children, three big babies, as according to um, averages and statistics, but for me, so I'm five foot nine. I wear like a UK size 16 to 18. I'm not a small person. I'm not petite. I never have been. Even at my kind of peak wedding diet crash lifestyle, I was still like a size 12 to 14. So I've never been tiny. I'm tall. I'm from a family of tall people. I'm from a family of people who've had big babies. I I, I meant to ask my mum today, but I completely forgot that I was around the nine pound mark. My sister was around the sort of eight upper sort of teens. Um, and we both arrived um, past our estimated due dates, which I feel is a really important thing to consider as well. Um, so when I when I had my first pregnancy, completely straightforward, always measuring with the tape measure, completely fine. Um, I agreed to an induction of labour because of post dates and my lack of education and not understanding of something I could say no to. And that led to a cascade of intervention um, because, I, he, you know, he wasn't ready to be born. So it, everything took a long time and then we ended up having an instrumental delivery. And once they weighed him, everyone was like, well, that's why you needed forceps because he was £9.4. Um, and I carried that kind of like sort of explanation as to why his labour was um, why it slowed down, why he um, stopped, you know, I stopped being able to push him out and he needed assistance because he was nine pound four, um, which is kind of like not enormous. Like it's on the I'm upper end of like, average. It's not huge. In, when you talk to independent midwives, um, you will find that the majority of them will see nine pound babies quite frequently. Absolutely. And he big. was just healthy. You know, yeah, and he was like completely in proportion, like there was no there was he was just big. At the point <laughs> in which he was born, he was fourteen days post due date. So he was growing in there, he was doing fine. And um but that always I always felt like I kind of had to that was the reason why the labour was the way it was and why I needed assistance. So it wasn't until I kind of started to unravel that a couple of 18 months or so later, um, I started to understand induction and started to educate myself a bit more about childbirth after having a baby. Um, (laughs) Not the best idea. Do it before. Um, (laughs) And then I I fell pregnant with my second and I actually had a a debrief at that point because of the the labour and I did suffer with PTSD after. Um, and the midwife that I had the debrief with was amazing. And we talked about everything that happened and the fact that it was an assisted delivery because I'd had an induction. Um, so that was just the cascade. And that's where we got to. And it was nothing to do with his birth weight. It was nothing to do with my ability or lack of ability to give birth. It was just the the pattern followed this almost sort of blueprint design that can often turn out when there's an induction that is it was too early he wasn't ready so the induction took a really long time and by the time he was born I was just exhausted I'd had an epidural um it had been a long couple of days so there was just nothing left in my tank to get him out um 
So it that kind of gave me um, some peace with what had happened. And in terms of like a lot of the statistics do say that if you have a big baby, um, you generally the next baby can be heavier. So I was kind of like, well, you can't really get much bigger than nine pound four, um, which was fairly naive of me, really. <laughs> so then, famous last word. I know, right? So I progressed in my pregnancy. Um, with my second, everything again, measuring where it should be with the tape measure trick, which, you know, I'm not sure how efficient that really is. No, um, I always say that measures the garage, not the car, does it? Kind of. Yeah, like, I sure. hate comparing like us to buildings and, and vehicles, <laughs> but you, you can have a huge garage and you might have a mini in there. So. Absolutely. And you could have like a tiny garage, but you've just squeezed your four by four in. Yeah. With no space around the edges. It's all no good. No space around you know? the edges. So. Yeah. So I think as, as that pregnancy progressed, I, I toyed more and more with the idea of having a home birth. That's where I kind of thought about with my first, but it didn't, the logistics weren't right. We didn't have a floor at the time. So that's a, that was pretty big for me. I needed a floor to have a baby. Um, not a long list of essential requirements, but that was fairly close to the top. And, um, so we, there was, um, everything was kind of progressing fine with the pregnancy. So we planned to have a home birth. Um, everything was great in the labour. It was, um, it was one of those kind of, we got to the due date. Um, and this time around, I hadn't shared the due date with anybody. We just very much went with the middle of September, which was two weeks past the estimated due date, which is when I knew the baby will be here by then. Um, so on the 14th of September, which was like pretty good prediction, I woke up with um, contractions and um, me and my husband came downstairs. He started setting up the pool. I kind of phoned my mum to sort of say, we might need you to come and pick Rupert up. Um, but let's just kind of see how it goes. He was asleep at that point. So I was like, I'm not going to wake him up. He was two and a half at the time. So you don't wake a two and a half year old up unless you want screaming in your face. Yeah. So um so we called the midwives out and I was just like doing some rotations, moving around, using the ball. Um, after a little while, the midwife arrived. She offered a um, vaginal examination and I had previously planned to not have any because I didn't want any. And I kind of had one of those moments of like white coat syndrome that when she offered it to me, um, I was like, oh, yeah, OK. And then my husband sort of jumped in and he was like, no, you said you didn't want any. Like, are you sure? And I was like, oh, yay. No, you're right. I don't want any. Which is why it was hugely important for me to have him advocate for me because I'm terrible. Like, I am the worst at, you know, I talk to my clients about everything being their choice. But when I'm in that situation, it just turns like a rabbit in headlights. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah, OK, let's just do this thing. because. You are not alone in this, and I kind of sort of like I just wanted to address this because that is for every single pregnant mammal out there. We are vulnerable people, mm. so we will. Our tendency is to befriend those around us, especially the ones that we are expecting to look after our health and our baby's health. Definitely, and I and I was it was one of those things that as as I was saying it, I was just kind of like, oh, that's not really that's not really what we talked about. <laughs> So thankfully, Josh was able to to stand in. And at that point, I was like, yeah, you know what? He's right. I don't want any. And the midwife was like, it's fine. Carry on. You're doing great. So um, after a bit of time, I wanted to get into the pool. And, and I'd been using the TENS machine. 
um, I vomited, which I knew was a really good sign, even though it was like my biggest fear going into childbirth. Of all the things, I, I hate being sick. I mean, no one loves being sick, right? But no. that, that felt like that was a huge step for me to just acknowledge, okay, this is a good sign. My body's just emptying my digestive system to get ready. Um, and I wanted to get into the pool, but I decided at that point that I wanted an examination because I knew that it was kind of getting to sort of, four four five four four thirty in the morning Rupert was asleep upstairs trying to think okay he's going to be awake in the next hour and a half to two hours let's see where I am to see do we need to call granny and granddad sooner we you know just needed to know if at what point we needed to sort of bring in any reinforcements and um, my midwife was delighted I literally, when I say delighted, she was so excited about my cervix <laughs> to the point where I actually had to be like, "Can you just calm down? Like, it's fine. Like, I, I, I'm happy with the information you've given me, but it's, it's all good. You know, just she was so excited. Um, and I got into the pool, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I reread my birth notes that I realised I was only in the pool for like 45 minutes before he was born. I thought I was in there for like two hours, you know, like it just, it was, it was in in terms of, um, it was, it categorizes as a um, precipitous labor oh, yeah, because, yeah, it, yeah. because of how long it was, um, which actually like at the time it didn't feel fast. It didn't feel so it was perfect pace. And, and it, I still reflect on this birth being the kind of like perfect time in terms of yeah. I think start to finish. It was about four hours, which, you know, quite happy to yeah. take that. Um yeah. And so, yeah, so I got into the pool and I obviously wasn't in there for very long before I felt the urge to push, which was really interesting to experience because with my eldest, I had an epidural and I'd had an induction. So I never had that sensation. And it just comes, it just takes over your whole body. Like there's not a part of my body that wasn't pushing me to push or pushing me to like bear down and just go really kind of low and everything went very deep I started like making very primal mooing sounds and it was and I said later that I felt like a mooing like a ghost cow making like a really like earthy ghosty ooey moo (laughs) I love that a ghost cow it's the first time I've heard someone that was a ghost cow I love it I love it I sent I found somehow in my kind of like postnatal euphoric state I found a picture on Google obviously of a of a cow with like a sheet over it levitating which I sent to my husband the next night and every year after Monty's birthday it comes up on my time hop and I'm like (laughs) oh yeah ghost cow um so yeah so I got to that kind of point and I remember having a, a complete cliche transitional moment saying I can't do it I can't do it um and I remember almost looking down at myself being like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're actually saying that. Like after <laughs> all the books you've read and all the kind of preparation you've done and you know about this stage and you're actually saying the words, I can't do it. Everyone just was like, no, you can do this. You're doing it. It's happening. And a couple of um, really strong surges, a couple of pushes and out he came. Um so I stayed in the pool for a little bit, but then I wanted to get out for the placenta to be delivered. So I climbed out. That's really hard work, climbing out of a birth pool oh. um, with a baby, with the placenta still inside, because there's like cord and it's slippy. So I had like a midwife on one arm, my husband on the other arm, a midwife in front of me because I was like worried about dropping the baby. And it's not easy getting in and out of a birth pool. Oh. 
when you're pregnant and then to get out of it with a with the cord like between your legs going going back into the placenta it was very I was like how do I do this it's like trying to navigate this complicated procedure after just doing what I've done um so I came out of the pool and we waited um for the placenta to deliver and I'd had um I started feeding Monty started having some more contractions placenta came out and we stayed in that position for like an hour just on the lounge floor feeding um the midwife I did have to have a couple of stitches the midwife did it just on the living room floor um kind of where I'm sat now which I'm totally like just like it's just totally normal now in my house for that to just be the done thing yeah. Check your perineum yeah just do it on the floor sure. why not <laughs> where we sit and eat snacks same place doesn't matter we have towels down it's all good um and then we were like it got to sort of like an hour and a half or so and the midwives were sort of tidying everything up, sort of getting ready to do their checks and head off. So they wanted to weigh in before um, before they went. So we put, sort of got him ready to go on the scales. And I remember saying, he's definitely smaller than Rupert. He's definitely smaller than Rupert because he just seemed really tiny because I think when you have a child already, a newborn arrives and you're like, oh my God, they're tiny because you're used to this like two, three, four-year-old kid like running around the house. So I was like, yeah, he's going to be like eight and a half pounds, something like that. And obviously the scales come up in kilos. Um, so he popped on the kilos and he came up as 4.54 kilos. So the midwife got the little book out and sort of looked at the comparison chart and she started giggling. And I was like, what? And she's like, um, yeah, that's 10 pounds one. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, no, you're, that can't be right. Like, he's tiny. And she's like, no, that's definitely right. I checked it because I didn't believe her. Checked because they have a little comparison, yeah. sort of com- comparing chart thing in the red book. And I was like, Jesus, £10 one. And he, it was just calm and chilled. And I, I know I said I had stitches. They were actually, um, I, the, there was a tear along the line that I had my episiotomy with my first labour. Okay. So scar tissue is generally going to be weaker. So it wasn't necessarily because of him. It's potentially it was going to happen yeah. um, anyway, regardless of the size of the baby. Um, and I just couldn't believe this tiny little baby was £10.1. Um, and that you had him at home after you had been told, like, oh, look at you, you birthed this £9.4 baby. And of course you needed forceps because he was so huge. Exactly. And I think that is the one thing that, that then kind of gave me, like whilst I'd had the debrief and I understood that the cascade of interventions happened, the forceps were required because of the induction, that actually it gave me that kind of knowledge that I can literally do anything. But I yeah. literally felt like Superwoman that day because I was oh. like, I just gave birth to a £10 one baby in four hours with zero pain relief in my living room with my two-year-old asleep upstairs like that after having trauma from the first birth which at that point wasn't fully resolved I'd obviously had my debrief but there was still work I needed to do and after that traumatic experience leaving me with PTSD to realize I could then come to around to a point that birth didn't happen to um it wasn't it didn't negate the experience I had but it kind of gave me it felt very healing to have that that experience to rekindle that trust that my body was capable um and that you know nine pound four is nothing (laughs) like that didn't he didn't need assistance because of his size um so 
it's worth now pointing out that that euphoric high did then come crashing down because he was nine um, in kilos. Let's go back to kilos because that's the kind of important part in the um, management of what is called a macrosomic baby. I think I'm pronouncing that awful. right. Yeah, it is awful, isn't it? It literally that's... means like big body. I think that's what it translates to in Latin. Large body, something like that. So five, four point five kilo is the upper limit for what the NHS in our area, certainly, I think it's kind of a nationwide guideline, would consider to be um, a normal weight. So he was 4.54. So he was 40 grams over the kind of upper limit, which I just worked out um, using the scales in the kitchen. 40 grams is about the weight of three average size strawberries. But this is probably also a baby that received his full blood from the placenta. Yep. Um, so they can put on roughly around what two hundred grams when yeah, they receive all yeah. of their blood. Um, which your first might not have done. I don't want to say if he if he was born by yeah. four tips, he might not have done. So he could have had an extra two hundred grams in there. Who knows? Yeah. Um, He'd also yeah. already been fed before he was weighed. Yeah. Um, so whilst just colostrum, there still would have been some extra grams going in. Yeah. Um, and he hadn't passed meconium at that point either. So he yeah. still had like a belly full of black tar. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> ten. So the weight itself, 4.54 kilos, was enough to trigger this kind of like response the midwife had gone and I got a phone call later on that day and it was from the midwife typing up the notes who was like oh well when I put that into the computer it's come up with a warning so I booked you a bed at St Michael's to come in for 24-hour blood sugar level monitoring I went straight back into um panicked you know healthcare professional telling me something um mode because this could have been a um indication of diabetes yeah. Um, so during my pregnancy, rewinding back to 37 weeks pregnant, went for a midwife appointment. I'd eaten a load of Haribo before I went, sugar in my urine, needed a glucose tolerance test at literally the 11th hour, 37 weeks. Um, that came up negative. However, I went into kind of panic mode because I was like, well, that test came up negative. But what if that was wrong? What if he's if there's diabetes, you know, like. Yeah, you start to you start to kick into like instinctive mammal mode. I've been told this by a healthcare professional. I know nothing about diabetes in children. I know nothing really. Even though I had the glucose tolerance test, I didn't understand gestational diabetes. So we went down this whole route of like let they booked us the bed we're going in. So we went into St Michael's for the night. Um, he had his heel prick every three hours. Oh. Um, he was utterly traumatized by that. Um, most babies, I don't know what kind of the average is for babies actually crying real tears, but my other children have been like a week or so and he was crying real real tears on like day one because he was being oh. stabbed in the foot constantly. Um which is really upsetting for me to see after having such a euphoria after his birth. Yeah. Suddenly be then in hospital without my husband, without my toddler, um, and some nurse coming around every three hours with a needle to prick his heel um and they wanted to do the readings without him having a full tummy so I was like well that's really impossible because he's a newborn baby who's feeding every 15 minutes yeah so they were like oh when did he last feed I was like well he's just finished feeding oh well we need to do the heel prick test I'm like he was crying 
I, yeah. sorry, like I can't responsive parent if you have a schedule yeah. for me. So they did his readings every three hours. They were completely fine, obviously, because he was yeah. just a big baby. Went home after 24 hours of that um, and kind of then was able to get back into our like post-birth lovely bubble of oxytocin loveliness. It's only with hindsight now that I wish I had known more about the partic- that particular topic and felt like I could say, you know what, I don't need to do that. If you want to check his blood sugar levels, come on by every three hours and do it at home. Um, yeah. To which they'd probably be like, yeah, I don't need to do that. So I'm like, so we don't need to go in. Um, but hindsight is a wonderful gift. And yeah. that's, yeah, that's what happened. Um, so in terms of actually like, yeah, like I said, the actual birth itself was like, out of all three of my children was definitely the easiest um it was a, it was nice and calm it was just exactly how I wanted it to be it wasn't too short it wasn't too long it was just textbook like perfect boring birth like everything just unfolded as it would be expected to and just a big baby and as he's grown up like he's always been compared to his older brother I feel like he will be taller when they're both fully grown yeah. Because he just seems sturdier and I feel like he's going to be just, and I've said this to my eight-year-old, he doesn't appreciate it. I was like, I think he's going to be taller than you one day. And that's a huge thing when you're eight, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm not meant to say that to him anymore. (laughs) So I was like, I think that's going to happen. So when I got pregnant the third time, post-COVID or sort of partway through COVID, um, I had my booking in appointment on the phone and the um the booking and appointment's funny right because they ask you where you're planning on giving birth and I'm like just found out I'm pregnant like yeah. just, like, two, like three <laughs> days if ago it's your first you literally have no fucking clue what your options are no. so you're like, uh, I, I don't the, ho- the hospital like, yeah and and so I was kind of like well at home like I had my second at home and then she said oh well you'll have to be consultant led and I was like why and she was like oh because of your previous macrosomic baby and I was like oh my god this 40 grams has come back up so I had a few other things against me in that pregnancy I was 35 so geriatric oh god geriatric geriatric my BMI was higher than it had been before because I had two kids and there was COVID like everyone you know gained a few extra kilos I was more active though than I'd ever been, so I was like, "That's just nonsense." We all know BMI is bullshit anyway, but yeah. I was like, "I'm more mobile and active and flexible than I've ever been," so forget <laughs> that. Um, and because it was my third pregnancy, like that kind of I think this was kind of like rate you up higher and higher risk wise in terms of like the more pregnancies you have um, for various different things. So they, um, she told me, "Oh, you'll be con- you'll be consultant led." And I was like, will I? <laughs> oh, will <Hey>. I? <laughs> so by this point, I'd already started my own business doing hypnobirthing and birth prep. So I was so much more educated than I was, like, first time around, completely different person. Second time around, I'd, I'd done a hypnobirthing course as a participant. And by the third time around, I was delivering this information to people. I was delivering birth prep to people. I was talking to people about birth and birthing big babies and how... Um, your body can't really grow a baby that's too big. Its nature is generally not that cruel, um, other than perhaps if there is gestational diabetes. 
Um, so I was Un- kind of uncontrolled, like uncontrolled, right? I think I'm just yeah, drop, I'm yeah, uncontrolled, yeah, uncontrolled decision. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as the pregnancy progressed, I was told I would have a glucose tolerance test, and I was like, well, I don't really want to have one. Um, but that was because of my age, BMI, amount of pregnancies, and because of my giant second baby. Um, so I, I reluctantly got to a point. I was like, Do you know what? If I don't agree to it, they're going to bring it up at every appointment. Yeah. I don't need to give them any more fuel to make this process of being pregnant in this uncertain time where I'm not seeing people face to face. I don't need to give them anything else. So let's just have the test. Have the test. Obviously negative. Fine. Knew it would be. Um, I then started to do a lot more research into gestational diabetes. I know you guys have covered this on like a um like a a webisode kind workshop. of thing or something yeah, we did, workshop we did quite a long workshop on it because yeah. the amount of people being diagnosed nowadays is actually obscene it really is and the i listened to the midwife's cauldron podcast on it oh, um which yeah. was just brilliant and it the it, i the it was a real eye-opener because it dealt into the sort of science behind what is diabetes what is gestational diabetes and when is diabetes and the gestational diabetes, when does it present itself um, in pregnancy and the kind of like sugar levels that they look at and the kind of benchmarks that they use in the UK are very different to other countries as yeah. to when they would di- diagnose it. So yeah. I was really interested to have the test and actually get the results and they, and I got them. I can't remember exactly what they were, but I was like way off. Like it wasn't, I wasn't even close to it being. So they just literally did it because of all the, risk factors I had of being fat and old and having so many kids <laughs> um like so, a catch. <laughs> I know <laughs> so when um part of the consultant-led pathway I was on because of Monty's weight I included an additional scan um and when I received the letter through the post I was furious about it because the letter said an appointment has been made for you to attend this obstetric scan on this day at this time, drink water, here's parking, you can bring one person. Um, there was no explanation as to why I was having that scan. And bear in mind, I hadn't had a midwife appointment for like sort of eight weeks by the time I got that letter in subsequent pregnancies. Unless unless there's a need for more appointments, you generally have a lot less appointments than you do yeah. with your first Um and they were trying to avoid unnecessary face-to-face interactions. We were still very much in, like, masks and two metres and everything at that point. Um, so I had this letter, and it just told me, basically, to attend the scan. It didn't say why I was going. It didn't explain what they were looking for. It didn't explain the benefits, the risks of the scan, and the information that that was going to give them. So I was, like, hard pass. I'm not going. Like, yes. I, I can completely not go to an appointment. Um, there was no option even on there to like reschedule if it wasn't at a convenient time. I just find that re- like I have children, I have a job. Like you, c- I can't just turn up at nine thirty that Friday. I might be busy. I might be on holiday. There was, there was, it just felt really inflexible. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of like spiel about if you don't attend an appointment, it costs blah blah blah. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't ask for this appointment. I don't want to go. <laughs> um. <laughs> So fast forward a few weeks to my midwife appointment with my amazing community midwife who had she had been at my birth at my home birth. So she was like, I've seen and she remembered it. She was like, 
I just saw something amazing that morning and she would talk about it so fondly. So she was not surprised that I wanted to plan another home birth. And when I sort of said to her about the scan, I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go. Like, it's just not really my bag. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not a big fan of like, neat. I, I don't lo- like, scans are cute and I enjoy them, but I don't like love them, you know? Like, it's just, it's uncomfortable. I've got a full bladder, they're prodding. And it's, yeah, I'm just like, just not bothered. And she was like, look, you're, you're having a home birth either way. And I was like, well, yeah. And she's like, so it's going to maybe provide us with some information. It's just data. We are going to deal with you at your home birth, the same whether you have this scan or not. But if this scan can give us some more information, it can help us prepare for other situations if you are having another big baby, such as shoulder dystocia. Yeah. Um, which is as common with small babies as it is with big babies. I'm yeah. pretty sure the, the stats behind it are very sort of level across the playing field, but seems to be a bigger concern with bigger babies. Um, and she was like, I don't think that's going to be a problem anyway, because you had a 10 pound one baby who just like flopped out, no issues. So, um, but it just gives us some extra information so we can be extra prepared. So I was like, okay, do you know what? Let's do it. So me and my husband went to the scan. We had to wait ages because of like COVID and appointment times running over. So we had the scan and we were there with our nice guidelines, um, <laughs> having done our research, understanding that suspected big baby is not an indication for induction by itself. Um, because I felt like the outcome of that scan was potentially going to have us feel really railroaded down a particular route that I didn't want to go down after having an uh, an inductor post date induction with my first I knew that an early induction with my third was going to be less effective than my post date induction yes because I wouldn't he wouldn't he or she baby was not going to be ready if Rupert yeah. wasn't ready at 41 and five days there's no way my other babies are going to be ready before my estimated due date I carry babies for a long time I have 41 to 42 week pregnancies. That's just who I am. That's just the sort of thing I like to do. <laughs> I'm late for everything. Okay. It's just how I roll. <laughs> it's just how I roll. And um, so we were ready to have an argument with this consultant. Um, and when we went in after having the scan, they kind of, the sonographer doesn't really tell you much. They just put everything in the computer. Went for the consultation where they've got the estimated current weight of the baby um and then they estimate how much it will grow by 40 weeks um and that estimate has got a 15% window of um like margin of error either side which is huge right when you're talking yeah. about 7 pounds 15% either side is yeah. huge it's a massive window so it's a completely on like it's just not an effective way of measuring a baby. The most effective way of measuring a baby and weighing a baby is when they're here and you put them on a set of scales. And like we said, there's other things that can affect that birth weight anyway, like having all of their blood, having having had a feed, having not had um, past urine or past meconium. So there's a million things. Ultrasound scan is just really inefficient. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, it's the only tool we have, so that's what they rely on. Yeah. Um, so when we went in to see the consultant, I can't ever remember what the estimated weight was going to be at 40 weeks. I like literally, it was just irrelevant. 
Um, he had a read through my notes. He asked about my other births. He asked, you know, he had a look through. My diabetes test was negative, which meant the baby wouldn't have diabetes either. Um, and they, he looked at, yeah, 10 pound one baby, four hour home birth. He was like, and I folded everything up and he was like, yeah, I think, I think you should probably consider staying at home. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Genuinely like, are you for real? Like, this is crazy. I, I said to him, I was so ready to have an argument with you today <laughs> about this. Um, he said that one of his children was born at home. And I was like, that explains because he's witnessed yeah. physiological birth unfolding at home without interruption. As a consultant, his job is to be there when they need a doctor. So, he, you know, often their view of birth is incredibly different because they don't see it unfolding normally. Um, so then we kind of talked a bit about how amazing home birth is and, and how much of a great time I had with my second. And and I kind of said, look, and I'm hoping this one, you know, that was quite fast. It might be nice to have a couple of hours of like early labor to enjoy, like watching my favorite show and having a laugh and having something to eat. And he was like, yeah, I would. He sort of said, I would prepare for you to not have that. And I was like, OK, sure. Can't be quicker than four hours. Thank you. <laughs> Why do I say these things? Like, can't have a baby bigger than nine pound four. Yeah, yes, stop you can. talking, Holly. Stop talking. You can't have a labour shorter than four hours. And my body was like, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So that kind of like the outcome of that appointment wouldn't have altered any decisions, but it kind of reassured me because I felt like everyone's on our side. We're all singing from the same hymn sheet. We all know what we want and what me and Josh want. Um, and there's no, there's no other kind of barriers. Um, we've overcome the old and fat thing. We've overcome the big baby thing. Um, we're just where we are. He talked about, you know, induction of labour post-dates, and I was like, we'll talk about that when we're post-dates. There's no point yeah. talking about it at 36 weeks. We'll yeah. talk about it when we get past the dates. I know it's there. I'll decide at, at some if point. If I change I will... my mind before the hand, I'll let you know. Exactly. Um, so her the due date then again came and went. Um, nothing happened because it doesn't um, with me because, like I said, I have long lab- long pregnancies. And um, I got to about a week past my due date, and I woke up. Well, I was sort of trying to get to sleep at night, and I was like, okay, things are feel like some things are happening. Um, my sister who lives in Hertfordshire, so like three hours away, um, is a doula, and for the first time in any labour, I asked for her to come and join us it's always just been me and my husband but I felt like this time I wanted my sister there I wasn't planning on having any more children her knowledge and experience as a doula was going to be really helpful um and yeah she's my sister like I love her and I would want her there for that moment so I kind of phoned her to give her a heads up that things were happening and we kind of she'd always said to me you just let me know as soon as you think something's going on because Monty's labor was four hours so if I don't leave, when you tell me stuff that started, I potentially won't make it. So she came down and got here at sort of like five-ish in the morning. And I went back up to bed and then everything kind of stopped, um, which I was really annoyed about because yeah. I'd got my sister out of bed. She'd driven for three hours and then nothing was going on. And that was on the, that was, we woke on the Tuesday and that's, that's how we spent the Tuesday. Um, the kids went off to school. We actually had a really nice day together, just pottering about. Um, and 
things are still not really changed, not really happened. I was feeling a little bit like, because I'd never really had that kind of false start before. Yeah. And it felt really disheartening. And I was, I had to really work to kind of get past that. So we did some relaxation together. We talked it through. It's all so pragmatic looking back. Um, but at the time, like it was really hard. I was also super tired because I hadn't slept, and that has such a massive impact on your emotions. Yeah. Um, so she went to sleep at my parents' house because we haven't really got a spare room. So she stayed the night in my parents' house that night. Um, the next day, um, I woke up and I had a shower and I pulled up my big girl pants and I was like, right, I'm not going to let this upset me. Let's have a really nice day together. So we went out um, for breakfast. We went to home bargains. We, I, I felt like there was some stuff I still needed for like my birth bag. So I wanted to get some things from home bargains um, and some nice snacks and things like that. So we did that, and it was it just opened this particular store, and we were like, oh, it's so nice. Um, every time I go there now, I'm like, oh, guess where I went today? She's like, home bargains. <laughs> um, it's like a really big deal for us that that visit. We went for some nice walks and she stayed again that night in my parents' house. Things still hadn't really changed. I hadn't had any more like surges or contractions. It had all kind of just gone away, but I was feeling much more optimistic. Um, And so the next day she was like, how would you feel if I went home just to kind of like relieve her husband from her three children for, you know, a few hours or a day or however long it's needed. And then I'll come back when things are moving again and I was like do you know what if like I, I'm completely fine with that like you've got your own children you can't just wait here for an indefinite period of time yeah to till something happens and she went and she left about two o'clock um and at three o'clock my husband came downstairs he was like are you okay doing the school run and I was like no can you can you go <laughs> and he's like do you need to call your sister and I was like no it's it's fine it's not nothing's happening I just don't really want to be in the playground. It's all good. And I very much reached that point of like, I'm just going to ignore it. It's fine. It's it's going to go away. Let's not look at it. It's like the sun. <laughs> just don't look at it. It's too big. Like, let's just, it's not happening. Um. So we went and got the kids, came home. I was making some tea. It was jack of potatoes. And um, and I, this sort of sensations and, and feelings were starting to really intensify at that point. Um. But I was still very much like, ah, it's all good. Just going to cook some beans. It's fine. <laughs> and I was like really having to start to start concentrate on the actual contractions. And um, and the children were really hyper, like super hyper. Oh. And I'd always intended on them being here because Rupert asked to be here um, when the baby was coming. And I just felt like it was a really great opportunity for them to see birth and to be yeah. part of that, especially as boys. Like, I don't want them growing up. If they're going to have um, female partners in the future who go on to have children, I want them to, to start that point of supporting supporting them from a really young age um, and having that kind of just normalising everything for them. Um, but they were really hyper and really annoying. So I eventually, like, sort of half five, asked Josh to phone my mum and being like, can you come and have the kids for a sleepover? Because we think something's happening. Um, by that point, my sister had just arrived home. Yeah. I was like, I sort of phoned her, I was like, mm, I think things are kind of happening. She's like, do you want me to come back? And I'm like, no, you literally just got through the door. You can't then drive another three hours back. You just can't no. do it. It's not fair. It's, 
like I'll let you know if something happens like a bit more um so my parents came to get the kids at like half they got here and they, my mum was asking like 600 questions even though I'd written out like a whole <laughs> thing you know like with all of their like what they do every day what clubs they go to what time school is what yeah. they have to wear they had all of that but obviously my mum had to ask like 100 questions so I was like I and there was a point where I was just like mum you're gonna have to rub my back you're gonna have to rub my back because there's a contraction coming and I, I'm and I I would not have had my mum at my birth like we just don't have that sort of relationship yeah and she has always been fine with that she I think actively said to both me and my sister yeah I don't want to be there yeah that's so, totally fine with that completely fine um so for me to be in that position to be like you're gonna have to do this she was like oh okay right but this is really happening so I was like yeah you need to fuck off now <laughs> you need to just take the kids a go um so she did and I phoned I phoned my sister again and she was chatting to me and the contractions were getting very um very strong at this point lasting a lot longer and she said to me on the phone call she's like if you want them if you want the midwife you need to call the midwife and I was like no I'm okay I'm fine I don't need them for a little bit and she's like you've just gone quiet for 90 seconds and like so she was kind of timing me on the phone and I was like no I was just listening to you <laughs> she's like no you, no, you really weren't <laughs> so the next like surge came I was trying to talk to her through it to kind of prove a point she's like Holly just called the midwife <laughs> I was like, but I don't want to waste their time if it's not really happening she's like it's, it's happening okay it's happening <laughs> just believe it it's happening <laughs> so I, I did call the midwife eventually and they got here at about half seven um shift change at eight o'clock um so we then had a, another couple of midwives swap around at eight o'clock um my husband had the pull up I was when the midwife arrived at half seven I was completely fine talking to her between contractions and after about two or three contractions, I couldn't talk to her anymore. Like, it just, you know, you just get to that point where you just go so inward. Even yeah. between contractions, it was like, nope, you're not here. Yeah. And I kind of overheard her say to Josh, like, is she normally this calm? <laughs> and he was like, well, in day-to-day life, no. But in labour, <laughs> she's pretty calm. <laughs> which is, which I think is a fair assessment. I'd take that. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I am a compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah life she rises to the stresses of life but yeah. this is not a stressful situation so yeah she's pretty calm yeah she's calm she's fine she's she's all right so she the midwife then at that point was just like I'm, I'm gonna you know make sure that everyone's here in terms of like the shift change doesn't happen like remotely that they both come um so that they kind of change over here because at that point she's like I don't know what time it's gonna happen yeah. But I guess she felt like it would be soon. I got into the pool. I think I was in the pool for about half an hour this time. So less time than the first time. Um, but I had a home birth and um, very, very strong transitional moment with this one where I literally was, I literally said like, this is stupid. I can't do it. Why do I think this is incredible? Like I was like my sort of like birth preparation teacher just like went away for like <laughs> two or three minutes. And I was just like, this is crazy. I can't do it. And I did some horsey breathing. So like, like really to blow out that adrenaline. Everyone was calming me down. Like, you can do it. I looked at my affirmations that I had on the wall. And I actually then shouted, I can do this. I can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. And then, then I said, I need to swear. 
and I don't know why I sort of pre-warned people <laughs> because it's polite. my house. That was British of you. I know, and it's <laughs> my house, and I swear all the time. So I don't know why I felt the need to kind of pre-warn them, and I just went with a huge, enormous like fuck. And I remembered from some of the birth prep that we had done that you you had talked about that, and it would it kind of worked really well with my needing to like moo like a ghost cow. A pirate ghost cow. Um, I just needed to swear. Um, because I because everything had happened so quickly. Um it just there was so much adrenaline from that big transitional moment because it was happening so fast that I think I really needed to shake that off in a way that I hadn't the first time or the second like as in the first home birth time. Yeah. When I really felt that. Um, and then literally, like, she was born, like, two minutes later. So, and she came out very quickly, um, which did cause my, it did make my postnatal recovery quite a lot longer than I had with the other yeah. two, um, because my pelvis hadn't moved slowly and gradually. Everything had just kind of gone very fast. Um, so that was a very quick labor. I think on paper, it was like an hour and a half, as in, like, established labor, and yeah. then like 40 minutes of um of second stage so it was yeah. very swift um efficient. so yeah efficient yeah i like that um and so she seemed tiny of course because she's a newborn baby um and again we stayed in the pool for a little while and then got out of the pool to have the placenta um we had an hour of feeding and and just cuddling um and again, I needed some stitches, but we did that upstairs this time. So I've had stitches in my lounge and in my bedroom. So I'm sort of spreading <laughs> the love around the house. Um, it's actually much more comfortable on my bed. Like looking yeah, back, much more comfortable to be lying on a mattress, not a floor. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, and when we weighed her, she was £8.16. So for me, oh. £8.15, that makes sense, £8.15. Um, so a tiny dot for me, yeah. like, like for average no still on the bigger side but like completely the smallest of all three which statistically I think females are smaller than males when they're at birth like they do follow different growth lines and growth charts they have different measurements um yeah and it is just based on statistics it could have been totally different she could have ended up being a lot bigger um but yeah my smallest and my earliest so she was born at 40 weeks and 10 days so she was my earliest baby and my smallest baby but still well above the average that they would have expected which again probably like it goes hand in hand with being smaller if she was earlier than the boys and Mm. it kind of it all makes sense doesn't it yeah if she had if she had been a couple of days later perhaps she would have tipped over nine pound um but yeah teeny really and it's quite funny because I heard my husband on the phone to his sister and he was like, oh, yeah, £8.15. And I could hear her go, what? That's massive. And he, because she had tiny babies. And Josh was like, not for us. That's the tiny, that's the smallest baby. And she was <laughs> like, smallest baby. she couldn't remember. And she sort of said, oh, how big were the boys? And then she was like, oh, my God, £9.4 or £10 for one. And it's just sort of become this kind of like, body has big babies. And despite all of the kind of like extra things they thought they had to check, like, she came out smaller than it was smaller than they predicted in the scan. I can't remember again exactly what they had predicted, but she was smaller than that. Um, and she came quicker, like the consultant said. So I'll give him a 
gold star for that <laughs> suggestion of staying at home because he was like I, he kind of joked like if you drive you might not make it and yeah. based on how much I was rejecting labor yeah you would not have made I would it. not have made it because by the time I would have made the call to go in it would have been too late yeah sure you would have been, would have been in the M5 just, yeah. yeah it would not be nice <laughs> so I think like it just everything kind of again with that it all kind of went exactly how I planned it to be I was at home I was in the pool um the children weren't here which again wasn't part of the original plan but the right decision at the time I navigated that I was like they can't be here they are bringing all the wrong energy to this yeah um and making that decision was hard at first and I felt quite upset but then as I reflected back I was like it was the right move I also after chatting to my sister um because I felt I, I felt there was points that I felt frustrated with myself for calling her down when things weren't happening um and then upset perhaps that worried that she would be upset that I didn't bring her back yeah um and she she said to me look you didn't need me there and you didn't know it but literally because she had gone and I went into labor and things started to really happen within an hour of her leaving she's completely right yeah. I just need just it just needs to be me and Josh, which is how it had been the first two times. Um so I was grateful that she, obviously she wasn't gonna be mad at me. She's my sister and she understands birth and she understands yeah. how all of this works. So she was never gonna be mad at me, but I felt worried that she would have been upset that I didn't get her to come back. Yeah. But she knew deep down I think she went home because she knew that's where she needed to go for me to progress yeah um and she was completely right and I think even though I'd always for this pregnancy imagined her being here in the in the end that's not what my body needed I needed the privacy whilst she's not a guest she's not somebody who lives here and you know so there is it does change the dynamic 100% I love I really love your birth stories and like how different and and then kind of like similar they are and your baby's weight and navigating the maternity system, which I think you did so beautifully and you really made your antenatal care your own as well. Yeah. Which I think is really, really amazing. If you were to give like, if you had a top tip for someone who is being told that their baby is suspected to be big, what would that be if you have anything? The scans can be so inaccurate. It's such a wide margin of error. Um, so look at the upper end and look at the lower end and yeah. look at how different that can be. You know, there is an element of having to trust your body, that your body knows exactly what to do. Um, and I think just, you know, immerse yourself in stories about people having big babies. Um but my biggest baby was probably by far my easiest labour because yeah. it unfolded in a much gentler pace than my third, but it wasn't, you know, spanning days like my first. It yeah. wasn't over-medicalised and it was um, very calm. And yes, he was big, but it didn't, it literally didn't feel any different. Yeah. The feeling that I had passing an £8.15 baby and a £10.1 baby, bear in mind it's over a pound difference, which in that size is big. Yeah. It's a big difference. It physically felt no different. Yeah. yeah. And um, if anything, like I said, the postnatal recovery after having a very quick labour felt longer 
because my body didn't unfold slowly yeah because I'd been keeping labor at bay for so long I just needed to like yeah I need I probably needed to surrender earlier and start relaxing earlier and moving around a bit earlier but yeah I was just cooking dinner and (laughs) ignoring it um so Which is I an think, excellent thing to do. I know, wouldn't you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just um, surrendering to yourself and immersing yourself in other people's positive stories, um, doing some research if you are capable or if you um, need support with that, finding accessible information. So, like, the, the podcast that I mentioned um it's really easy to listen to. It's not yeah. um it's not too like sciencey or guidelinesy. It's very um it's re- it's all spelled out very simply, which I think is really important to understand. I can read the nice guidelines because I've got the um privilege of education and I've got the privilege yeah. of, of being in that industry in that world. So I know yeah. what terms they're referring to and I understand it, but not everyone is able to just read um, you know a, a study and understand it and I think it's yeah. important to find ways to educate yourself in a way that works for you yeah you know and the only been... reason we don't see big babies being born more often is because pregnancies are being like they are ending pregnancies earlier and earlier so yes, the babies absolutely. are being deprived from getting their full development in utero um, yes. and we are also starving pregnant people by telling them they shouldn't have carbs so yeah I think you know if I hadn't have been who I am and if the consultant hadn't been who he was and I hadn't had the previous home birth so lots of different things going on and I'd gone into that appointment at 36 weeks and been um railroaded into an induction essentially at 38 weeks um obviously she would have been tiny because she was eight pound 15 at nearly 41 weeks so she's going to be she would have been much lighter um we would have joked about how inaccurate the scan would have been oh they thought she was going to be nine pounds whatever but actually she was seven um and I potentially would have gone into an induction I didn't need way before I was ready to give birth so it would have been ineffective um which would have meant it would have taken a really long time and then eventually perhaps I would have needed a further assistance or a c-section um and I would have then potentially found myself at a point where if I had just waited um and gone with my instinct of of not needing an induction because my I can grow a big baby it would have potentially been a hugely different outcome for me emotionally and mentally yeah. afterwards yeah um so I think it's really important to understand the context as well like I knew I could grow a big baby because I'd done it yeah um I'd done it twice before and I'd done it incredibly well second time around with this huge baby you know when you when you feel represented in like stories as a either as um in whatever walk of life you're from um whatever situation is similar to yours it is massively it makes a massive impact yes that's why it's so important to have like a diverse range of birth stories yeah even down to yeah c-sections hospitals um inductions all the things that you know one person might not choose another person may choose and they might have an incredible experience and the more we share that the more people are going to feel seen in those stories so when I hear people talking about or have clients that that the you know healthcare team are worried about a big baby I'm like would you like to hear my big baby birth story and they're like yeah sure and I'm like 
just breathed out a ten pound one baby in the living room like it was nothing, <laughs> um, you know, because it was, and that's how it felt. It felt like literally nothing. Um, it was only like guidelines and procedure that interrupted, you know, the postnatal experience and then impacted my third pregnancy so massively. And I always felt so sad for poor little Monty, like his like extra 40 grams of, of body fat has, you know, impacted my third pregnancy in such a big way with so many yeah. extra challenges that I had to face antenatally. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that all of that, that came down to literally the weight of three strawberries. So it is really interesting when you look at these blanket policies, they are going to affect individuals in such a different way. They really are. And it, that can be detrimental not only to their birth experience, but to the health of that person and potentially their child in the long run as well. Um, so we do need to take a lot of things into consideration. We need to take time to make decisions. And essentially, we need to be supported into what we feel is best for us and our families. And I know it's easier said than done when we are sitting here with the experience that we have and the yeah. knowledge that we can access. Um, but there is just so, yeah, if you're listening to this, there is just so much that you can access really good quality information. We'll make sure that we put the link to the podcast that Holly mentioned in the comments as well. So if you are navigating gestational diabetes, you can go on and listen to that. Um, but yeah, it's really important that we know that there are resources out there that are also free that we can access and they are very good quality. Yeah, I think I think that really helped me because I felt like, and I think that episode that they did actually covered two episodes. I think it was such they a big did. topic. And I, I listened to it and it gave me so much reassurance it also gave me all the information that I needed for the glucose tolerance test and for then subsequent growth scans because it kind of put me in the position where I was going into those appointments armed and ready yeah. with the state, like with the statistics, with the guidelines. Yeah. Um, so I felt prepared for those appointments. I also it reminded myself so much before I went to the growth scan that I could walk out of that hospital any time during that appointment if I was not enjoying the conversation yeah if I wanted time to make a decision if they were suggesting induction or anything like that if there was if they were talking about things I didn't want to go down that route of I can just stand up and walk out yeah because that yes. conversation is over it doesn't serve it. me hospitals are not prisons and antenatal care is not uh, mandatory so yeah, yeah absolutely you can pick and choose what what elements you want for your antenatal care and birth care and postnatal care as well. Yeah, You're absolutely right. Now, thank you so much, Holly, for your time, for oh, sharing you. your stories, for existing and doing the work <laughs> that you do. Um, it is, I, you know that you do, but like you do make a big impact in people's lives, like just by doing the work that you do. So it's amazing. Thank you so much and there we have it another episode of talk birthy with us and we really hope you enjoyed this one just as much as we did another huge thank you to holly for coming and talking birthy with us sharing her experiences and her insights which we just know are going to be so valuable to the pregnant community 
All of the resources mentioned in today's episode are linked in the show notes, including New Birth Club's very own Understanding and Navigating Gestational Diabetes workshop. This is a deep dive into exactly what gestational diabetes is, how it's diagnosed and how it can impact your pregnancy, birth and postpartum, as well as loads of tools and tips to help you navigate gestational diabetes and all of the offers that come with that and to make the decisions that are right for you. The workshop is available to download via our website for just $5.99. If you're new to the podcast this year and enjoying the information that we're putting out there, please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast from. It means the absolute world to us and it does help get this information out there to a wider audience. And if you're really grateful and wanting to show us a token of your gratitude and appreciation, you can now buy us a coffee. The link to our Buy Us A Coffee page is in the show notes and any caffeine is greatly appreciated by two tired and hardworking mums. We'll talk to you next week.